You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I am still the host here. My name is Alex, telling terrible jokes and somewhat interesting shark facts throughout the entire journey. I've also been missing for about the last two weeks. Sorry about that. I did get a little bit busy, especially since the Thanksgiving holiday was going on and then my girlfriend was in town because she was on break and then the semester started for me again, so was busy with that and then I also started an internship because I need to do that for school as well so things got a little bit busy and I kind of got a little bit behind with this but should be back on track now as I'm getting into the groove of things and I do appreciate all the continued support that I saw especially while I was gone so I do very much appreciate that and everyone that's still here you are all so amazing but I finally got to look into the second half of the hammerheads that I kind of briefly went into the very first time but didn't really do a thorough job, so that's why I'm revisiting this. Um, but I get to see the bonnet head, scallop bonnet head, scoop head, and the wing head in this episode. But before we get started with that, uh, make sure you follow the Instagram at Deep Dives with Sharks once again to ask any questions, uh, any comments, anything like that. Happy to hear all of them as much as you would like to send them. But we're going to jump right into it uh, without any further ado. We're going to start off with the smallest one and then working our way up to the largest. So we're gonna start with the scalloped bonnet head. These only measure about 92 centimeters or about three feet long. Now there's not much known about the scalloped bonnet head as they were recently realized to be a different species than the bonnet head. So fairly recent within the last couple years or so and that could range, I mean, they didn't really give an exact date, but I do believe it was post 2000s which anything in that realm can be very, very different. It's not quite as known as the bonnet head would be, uh, but they are found on the west coast of Central and South America, uh, more specifically about Mexico to Peru, so somewhere in that range, although they're also sometimes found as far north as Southern California, so they're not a huge range either. They tend to stay closer to the shore. They only go about 100 meters deep, so it is possible to bump into these guys, except for they don't really tend to interact with humans too, too much. They tend to be very skittish. Now, they tend to follow prey closer to the shore, and that includes mollusks, crustaceans, bony fish, and cephalopods. Now, researchers aren't sure if they hunt on the bottom like other hammerheads or if they hunt at higher levels through the ocean because mostly, as I mentioned in the last episode, great hammerheads are a species that tend to pin their prey to the bottom. There hasn't been a whole lot observed when it comes to the scalloped bonnet head, so they're not quite sure if they do that or if they do something completely different. Now, as I mentioned, they tend to be skittish around humans, as do many other smaller sharks, and many sharks in general. So especially when you get to the smaller species, they tend to stay away quite a bit. Um, But they do like, uh, there's a good chance of getting bit by one of these guys, but it's higher than a thresher, but still very low. Thresher sharks tend to be further out. Now, they are currently listed in critical condition, and they are often caught as bycatch, especially after going after their prey, such as mackerel. But going on to the bonnet head, a little bit more known about them. They'll grow to be a little bit larger, about three to three and a half feet, so about a half foot larger in size on average. 
Bonnet heads are very recognizable by the curvature of the front of their head rather than having that flat typical hammer that a hammer head would. They look more like a shovel type of head, uh, but they get a little bit confused uh, with the scoop head as we'll go over a little bit later. They're also found in similar areas to the scallop, so lower California to Peru, but also southeast coast of America, east coast of Central America, and the northeast coast of South America. They have larger pectoral fins, which help with mobility, such as pitch and roll, so they can be more maneuverable, a little bit more agile than other sharks. Uh, going back to the question of which shark is best to ride, if you're very tiny, a bonnet head is a fantastic option, and it's very maneuverable. Uh, but they feed on crustaceans, such as the blue crab, and for those of you that are in the same area as me, there have been quite a few found in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, they do feed on the crab there. We do have many blue crabs here in Maryland, and of course, if you're ever visiting the area, I definitely recommend a crab cake. Although they also do like shrimp, mollusks, and other small fish as well. Being a smaller shark, they can't hunt down the big ones like tuna, anything like that. Now, they have smoother teeth that appear to lay down towards the back of their mouth, while they have sharper, pointier teeth towards the front of their mouth. Now, I couldn't find anything as to why they're shaped differently. I did try looking a little bit more into that, but I wasn't able to find a whole lot, so I'm making a full assumption here that typically what happens, especially when it comes to uh, herbivores, when they have the smoother teeth in the back it's more for a grinding or more pressure applied so especially when they're trying to break into the shell of a blue crab it could be a very hard surface uh, so having those like pointier teeth might just slide right off but getting it further in their mouth might help to crack open that shell a bit more kind of my more or just pure speculation as i was mentioning there these guys are also listed as threatened, that was a very hard word to say, listed, as threatened due to their conservation status. They are frequently caught as bycatch once again, especially when it comes to different fishing practices. Now, thankfully, uh, the crabbing industry has not caught many of these guys because they tend to not try to swim into crab pots, but sometimes they do get caught up in uh, ropes, anything like that. Moving on to the next biggest is going to be the scoop head. Now, these guys also have a rounded hammer. Uh, looks a little bit of a central indentation on the center of the hammer, which is how they differentiate from the uh, bonnet head. Uh, but it also has larger dorsal fins similar to the other hammer heads, although this dorsal fin isn't as narrow as the, as the others. It makes more of a large triangle more than a sickle kind of cell, uh, cell shape. There we go. But uh, it also is going to be about 150 centimeters, so about 4.9 feet. Still rather small, uh, still smaller than the other actually hammer heads that we talked about in the last episode. And they tend to stay closer to the shore. Uh, they tend to go into bays, estuaries, rivers, other shallower areas around Central and South America, usually only ranging from Panama to Brazil. So very small range there, uh, parts of the Caribbean, and then also parts of Ecuador. So they've been found around the Galapagos as well. Scoop heads tend to feed on octopus, flounder, squid, and smaller cartilaginous fish, which helps them to not compete with the scalloped bonnet head who lives in similar habitats, because as we mentioned, they prefer bony fish. Uh, the scalloped head, uh, uh, yeah, scalloped bonnet head, sorry, got a little distracted there, or confused. Uh, but the scalloped bonnet head tends to like those bony fish, uh, and then the scoop head tends to feed on different, so that way they're not all competing. 
These guys have lower teeth that protrude out of their mouth, similar to the other hammerheads, especially when you look at the great hammerhead, you notice that those teeth usually are coming out of the bottom of their mouth, usually what happens there. Uh, this is going to be more helpful in catching and holding their prey, um, especially when they're going for cartilaginous fish, it can easily penetrate and impale them, so it works a little bit easier there. These guys are going to be listed as critically endangered. They're often caught as bycatch, especially along among mackerel fisheries, uh, as we mentioned with the other ones as well. And then lastly, the winghead. Now, this one was actually really neat. Uh, when I first saw this one in the first episode that I was doing about hammerheads, I kind of got really excited about this because these guys, they look a little bit freaky. Um, now, this one I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth with. Uh, so these guys are going to grow to be about 6.2 feet long, about 1.9 meters. They have a much longer hammer than the other hammerheads, which is what got them the name winghead, as they have a long wingspan, usually equals half the length of the rest of their body. So from eye to eye, if you turn that sideways, you'd get half of the rest of their body. They also have sickle-shaped dorsal fins. So as I mentioned, great hammerheads tend to have that sickle-shaped dorsal fin. This one's going to have a similar type, uh, which helps to move through the water, makes it a little bit more... Uh, or I guess less water resist, what's the right word here? I'd say aerodynamic, but it's not air. So whatever it is in water, maybe still aerodynamic. I don't know. I'm not a really good science person. But <laughs> with this, it helps them to move a little bit easier. And then the wing-shaped head has sensors across the entire front of it. So having more sensors there helps with movement throughout the water, uh, or sound throughout the water. And also, it's going to help to get all that electronic pulse that comes from the animals a little bit more sensitively. Now, they're mostly found throughout Asia and Australia in shallow coastal waters, although many sources claim that the shark is rather harmless to humans due to their size. So they're not massive. They don't tend to have many bites uh, with people. They also tend to be a little bit further from humans, although they do like to be pretty close. But... <clears throat> excuse me, tends to feed on small bony fish, crustaceans, and cephalopods, such as octopus. It was noted that these sharks do give birth to live young, which is common among hammerhead sharks, although other sources did not list how the other three gave birth or laid eggs, so I'm not quite sure when it comes to the scoop head, uh, the bonnet head, or the scallop bonnet head. There wasn't really too much about that. Now, these sh sharks are currently listed as endangered as of 2016, once again due to bycatch and overfishing as they are used for meat, fins, liver oil, and fish meal. Now, I did have to look what fish meal meant. Uh, that means that it is fed to farm animals because it literally is meal made of fish. But uh, the fact that I found out that sharks are, uh, or find out that shark bits are fed to livestock to just made me kind of irrationally angry. Uh, there's many alternatives that do not include killing endangered animals uh, to feed your livestock. So, Good to know. Uh, but that is what I have for the shark species for this week. Of course, if you have any other questions, um, I mean, we could also throw the wing head in there as another good one to ride. You can easily grab onto its head there. So, you know, it works out. Um, but if you have any other questions, any comments, anything like that, please feel free to shoot that over at the Instagram and I'll be very happy to answer it. But moving on to shark safety. Now, this is one that I've been thinking of for a long while. It's one that I didn't really realize I could talk about on the podcast until literally today when I was doing the research. And also, fun fact, this is the first time I think I'm recording an episode before 10 p.m. It's actually only going on 8, so that's actually pretty fantastic. But 
we're gonna be talking about how you can best help a beached shark. Now, this is something that I've thought about for a while. I remember when I was younger, my parents told me about a time they were walking on the beach and they saw a guy uh, helping a shark and, or they kind of like stumbled upon, I think uh, they said it was a small hammerhead, so quite possibly could have been a bonnet head. Uh, but the guys kind of picked him up, tossed him in the water, and that was that. So it kind of got me thinking like, how cool would it be to like kind of wake up at the beach and then go outside and see a shark and be able to help it, that'd be kind of sick. But then I realized I have no idea really how to help it. Well, now I do because I did some research into it. But sharks get beached for a variety of reasons. Most commonly is that they followed food that went close to shore, didn't really realize how shallow the tide was. That's especially true with large sharks like basking sharks or whale sharks. They don't realize how, I'm not sure if they don't realize how big they are, but they definitely don't realize how shallow the water is that they are getting into and they'll get washed right on shore. Now, if you come across a beach shark, the first thing you want to do is try to get water on it, especially around the gills. Same way that when someone is drowning, one of the first things you want to do is get air into them. So, or make sure that they can get air. Don't just start blowing air into people that are underwater. You can try to, it's probably not going to go well. But definitely try to make sure that the person can breathe. So you want to try to make sure the shark can breathe. So you want to aim for the gills. Now, you also want to hit the rest of its body, as dry skin for a fish in general is not good and can lead to further issues, which the way that that was put makes it sound like fish don't like to be ashy, but it's actually a health issue. So if they're ashy, they're not just being extra, they're actually getting sick. So ashy fish is bad. But this doesn't mean to immediately try dragging the shark into the water. Now, of course, that might be your first initial jerk reaction, as your first reaction when someone is drowning is to get their head above the water. Same thing, though, if you, honestly, if someone's kind of stuck and all you can do is get them a straw and that goes above the surface, kind of the same deal. If you can get water onto their gills, kind of start doing that. So you can splash water on the shark either by using your hands, kind of just throwing water at it, or if you have a bucket or any sort of container, you can throw water onto it that way, which will just kind of buy you time to come up with a plan, also possibly get some help. Now, if the shark is responsive to water or thrashing around on the beach still because it's just been there, uh, recently washed up, that's you got plenty of time. That's good. Now, of course, if you get there, you start splashing water on it, you rolled up on it, you have no idea how long it's been there, and it's not really responding at all, probably is dead. Um, so I'd say at this point, you can try throwing it back in the water. I don't think it's going to do much. It's probably just going to get pushed back onto the beach. Um, so at that point... What I would say is to call a lifeguard or if they're nearby or if they're not on the beach yet, uh, contact local wildlife services. Uh, so once again, going back to a Maryland example, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and then a Florida example, the Clearwater Marine Aquarium, uh, both handle animal rehabilitation and rescue. Uh, and they'll most likely want to perform an autopsy if the animal has passed, uh, just to kind of see what they might be up against, if it was natural causes or if there's something in the water that they might need to try to address or at least put more, what's the right word? I guess get more information on it. Now, eventually you do want to get the shark in the water if it's still alive. And depending on the species, this can be incredibly tough, depending on the size. As I mentioned, two of the most common are whale sharks and basking sharks. They both weigh a couple tons. So it's probably gonna be hard to move unless you've gone to the gym in the past month then it might not be. Um, but that's also not true. Please, I swear to God, do not try to move a three-ton animal. I think it's way more than three tons. I forgot how heavy those sharks are. I'm very sorry. Um, but <laughs> some things I remember off the top of my head. Shark weights, for example, I don't. I remember their size. They're big. Um, but if you are dragging uh, the shark yourself by its tail, 
probably would be the best option, especially if it's by yourself. Uh, if you're still splashing water on it, you want to still move its tail back and forth uh, just to try to keep blood circulating throughout the body. Um, this will kind of help to make sure it's kind of the same way of like uh, CPR in a sense, except for it's just kind of keeping like the limbs moving, uh, trying to get that blood still flowing so that way parts of the shark aren't injured. And then if multiple people are involved, I'd recommend trying to push the shark forward um, once it gets towards the water. Now, if it's still very responsive, then I say getting it in the water is the best option. So just kind of going into where it can swim itself. Now, realizing that the way that a shark swims is pretty much from the bottom up. So once it's belly comes off the sand it should be good to go so you don't have to go that deep into the water either i don't want anyone thinking that they have to try to swim a shark out past the like waves they can usually swim past the waves themselves they just lost traction kind of the same way you just need a car tire to get enough traction they just need to get enough off the sand in order to move themselves so once they can do that you're pretty good to go now, if multiple people are pushing it, just make sure that you're trying to get that water moving forward through the gills and mouth because that's how a shark breathes, breathes. So depending on how long it's been out of the water, at this point, it might be suffocating a little bit. And if you pull it backwards, it's actually how dolphins will kill sharks is by pulling them backwards long enough that it will suffocate them. Now, this also does take a little while. It's like the same way that a person doesn't just pass out instantly when they get put in a headlock. So it's going to take a little bit. You have to drag that shark for a minute. I don't think many people are going to have the strength, especially in water, to pull the shark far enough back for it to suffocate to death. Uh, plus, it's already been choking on air, so it, I think getting it in water is going to be a much better, like, no matter how it's done, is going to be much better than uh, simply being worried about pulling it back too hard. So I don't think you're going to be able to do it consistently enough is essentially what I'm saying. That's not a challenge. Please do not go out into the ocean and start suffocating sharks, but is a thing that is, should be noted that the best way to do it would be to move it forward. But in doing so, if you do have multiple people, make sure that you are behind the dorsal fin and pushing from the tail and the dorsal fin there and also like pushing from the side. For the love of God, do not put your hands anywhere near its mouth. I've said this time and time again, episode and episode again, and I swear if any of you go to try to save a shark and your first thought is let me put my hand in its mouth, the second you get out of the hospital and you're missing fingers, we're fighting in the parking lot. You don't want to put your hand in its mouth. That's how it bites people, and then you're going to be missing fingies at the most. Well, at the least, I should say. At the most, you're missing an arm. Not really good either way. But we don't want to lose fingers. We don't want to lose limbs. Don't put your hand near its mouth, all right? Thank you. But <laughs> with that, that is the safety part of the podcast for this week, which brings us to maybe someone's favorite segment i don't know no one's told me yet but the shark news now this one i've got two of them uh so this one i try to go a little bit more in depth as well especially since i have been mia try to go a little bit more in depth than i normally do so i'm not going to try to make that a quick wrap up i'm going to actually try to go a little bit more in depth in these the first one I have is a 10-year-old Florida girl fought a shark and won. Now, I was very excited to see that title simply because that is the most Florida man title I've ever seen, but we now have Florida girl. This was reported by the Inertia. Oh, I forgot to mention. Uh, I might have mentioned. I don't know if I did, but to cover my bases. The last segment, Shark Safety, I did the research through National Geographic, uh, so... That is a source you can use for that one. This one I got from the Inertia. Uh, it was a 10-year-old girl in Florida. Uh, she was swimming in Hope Sound Beach when she was bit on the foot by a shark. Uh, once it bit her, she kicked it with the other foot. It swam off. Uh, now, 
She then went to her grandparents who alerted lifeguards and she was taken to the hospital where she had surgery to stop the bleeding and they were said that she should make a full recovery. Now, the reason why they say that she was able to make a full, or she is able to make a full recovery is mostly because she stayed calm the entire time. Now, to quote her, she said she did not want to startle or worry her six-year-old brother, which clearly she is cooler than I am because I love sharks and even if I get bit by one, I'm screaming bloody murder and she just kind of did what she was supposed to do at that point. She realized, let me stay calm. Let me go tell my grandparents. She apparently went running up the beach and told them that she had been bit and they went and told the lifeguards. Lifeguards got it patched up as much as they could, got her to the hospital, and she's going to be good to go. Now, that is exactly what you should do. Now, a lot of people think, oh, she should have beat it up. Now, I always say don't punch a shark, anything like that. I'm pretty sure the thing came at her, and then to get it away from her, she just kind of kicked at it, but I feel like it was already going away, and it just kind of startled it more. Um, now, that is something I'd say to be careful with, because depending on the shark, now this one was probably a little bit smaller, because 10-year-olds, at least the 10-year-olds I know, don't seem to be huge so if the shark was able to take a chunk out of her foot but not take her whole foot it couldn't have been that big maybe a decent size but definitely not great white anything like that so if especially if you're coming up against a great white they kind of know their power and their force a smaller shark's going to be more timid so if it takes a bite at you i think a quick movement towards it's going to get it away uh, i think she did the right thing there i wouldn't say punching or kicking a shark's the best move but effective in this case now from there, just make sure you stay calm, get out of the water, go to the lifeguard, say what happens. Now, I can't say why the shark bit her because me and the shark are actually boys and he asked me not to tell. Uh, but the scientists that were looking into it, uh, marine biologists in the area, they're not exactly sure why the shark bit. They're not in its head. They only have the same theories that they normally do. A school of fish might have come by uh, and might have just gotten confused there. It might have been trying to figure out what she was. She didn't see it coming, something like that. Um... Of course, they're not really going to ever know for sure. There's no way that the shark can come up on the news and be like, yeah, nah, I bit her because she was talking smack. Like, there's nothing really that can happen like that. So kind of one of those things that they're not really ever going to know. We can only speculate on. But, I mean, I think that the fish theory of it was just following a school and it went nearby, I think is probably the most likely. Um, I'm not exactly sure where... Um, <clears throat> Hope Sound Beach is, but I can tell you that from Clearwater, where I've been in Florida before, I mean, the water is clear, the beach doesn't lie, um, but, I mean, you can see all the schools of fish that are around you, they're going in and out, um, and the fish there are very curious too, they're used to human interaction, so I wouldn't be surprised if they came up to try to figure out what it is, they took a little nibble, I mean, I mentioned before, sheep's head have nibbled at me before, and it's startling, but definitely isn't uh, something I wouldn't ever make a recovery from, so thankfully it wasn't a shark. Um, but it's one of those things that the animals there are very used to human interaction, so it's very not uncommon. I don't know why I didn't say that. It's very common for fish to be close to shore. We're just going to do double negatives on this podcast now. So it's very common for fish to be close to shore, and they'll be curious as to what humans are so it is a good chance that those two i probably say would be my best guesses but once again those are speculation please do not take anything i say uh especially when it comes to shark interaction as the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth but this next one is coming from australia once again and this is shark spotted inside nets at bondi reignite debate about control measures that is a mouthful and that was reported by nine news now for those of you that do not know 
in many areas where larger sharks roam, like the Great Hammerhead, Great White, Tigers, anything like that, beaches have tried using uh, these things called shark nets. And what they're supposed to do, they're supposed to keep sharks away from the beach. Now, they're only about six feet deep, and they also go for miles. Uh, but thing is, they don't really work, and they also are really not good at their job anyway. Uh, so essentially what they do is they limit the amount of shark-human interactions that can occur. Problem is that they kill tons and tons of marine life every year. Sharks get caught up in the nets, uh, rays get caught up in the nets, other fish get caught up in the nets, octopus, uh, squid, anything like that, they just get caught in the nets and then they die. Because uh, they can't get out, so they suffocate essentially. Uh, and yeah, it probably has limited the amount of bites and fatalities, uh, as it mentions later in the thing, that since the nets went up, it's limited the amount of bites that have occurred, uh, or there's only been, I th or limited the amount of fatalities, so it said that there's only been one since the nets have been in use. Pretty solid numbers, but they're pretty ineffective. Uh, but pretty much what happened is that two hammerheads were able to get around those nets, and they were pretty close to Bondi Beach. Now, I do agree we need to find an effective way to keep people safe from sharks, and I feel that that is by educating humans on how to interact with sharks and not see them as an enemy that is just about to bite them. It's very much beside the point, though. But sharks easily swim around the nets, as I mentioned, and the nets can't span an entire continent, plus they can't be there year-round. Uh, they'll end up just deteriorating, and it's not really useful anyway. So they go in through parts of the year, and the sharks get around them, they swim under them, other animals get around them, but they also get wrapped up in them, so they're really not effective anyway. And with this, as I did mention, there haven't been any uh, fatalities since, I think there was one fatality since the net went up. I think I mistyped that there, but uh, there's either zero or one, one of the two. Uh, but they didn't uh, say how many bites have occurred, so I'm pretty curious about that, if they really had an effect on it, or if they, excuse me, if they were just better at keeping the larger sharks away. Now, I do remember that there are, uh, or at least I've heard, there are better ways to keep sharks uh, away from beaches. Um, I do remember on one Shark Week a few years back, they tried using uh, magnet fences, so fences that were essentially made out of magnets that were a couple feet apart. Uh, and what would happen is fish and other creatures could swim through, uh, but when sharks got close, the magnets would mess with those sensors we mentioned about in their nose, and it would cause them to swim away from the magnets, which sounded much safer and much less deadly, although I do believe that there are pros and cons to everything that is brought up, especially when it comes to how sharks use those sensors, so migration patterns, uh, following food sources, I feel like that can kind of cause harm, because if they're traveling close to the shore, I mean, especially as we mentioned, all the bonnet heads and the scoop head, they tend to live close to shore, so if we're using magnets there, we effectively drive them out of their habitat, and that doesn't seem really helpful at all either. So I think that the best possible option is just going to have to come down to being safe and alert while you're in the ocean uh, because you're in a shark's home. So there's a good chance one can be nearby. And as I mentioned a million times before, there's a good chance you won't know it and there's a good chance they won't do anything to you. So very possible there. But with this, scientists are gonna keep trying to find better ways to keep sharks away from people. And they're going to try a bunch of different methods, and I guess we'll have to see throughout the year if any of those stay through. But that is what I had this week for the podcast. Uh, thank you all once again for listening. I'm sorry I had to revisit the hammerhead so quickly. I was hoping not to have to have done that, at least this early into the podcast. But listening back to that episode, I felt that, that episode was very unorganized and very rushed. 
Uh, so I figured I'm just going to redo it and try to be more thorough in the future. So I have a template now, got it kind of down running. It's still going to evolve as time goes, but thank you all for sticking with me and listening in. Uh, follow the Instagram once again at Deep Dives with Sharks for more updates. I'll probably start running polls and things about what you guys want to see and what you'd like to hear. And then also leave any comments or questions, anything of that sort. Lastly, give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and share with anyone you think will listen. But thank you all again for watching or listening or whatever you're doing. And I'll see you in the next one.